Hello, everyone. This is Greg Drevenstead, Editor-in-Chief at Writer Magazine and your host for the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast. This is our first episode of 2022, and I want to wish everyone a happy new year and thank you for listening. Our guest today is Brian Case. Brian is an industrial designer who is the former chief designer for Confederate Motorcycles. He also served as co-founder and design director for Modus Motorcycles, where he led the design and development of the MST V4. Brian joined the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum in 2019, and last year he became the director of the new Barber Advanced Design Center. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you, thanks for having me. Great, well, it's an honor to have you on the show. I've uh, known about your work for a number of years, but we've never met in person. And in fact, we're doing this remotely. You're in Birmingham, I'm in California. We're doing this uh, over the internet. Um, but I know that you are an industrial designer. Uh, you've, got a, you've had a long career doing that. And I'm curious because you know designing motorcycles is what you've done for a living. And that sounds like a dream job for many people. Uh, people love riding motorcycles, but you know the idea of what goes into making a cool motorcycle uh, is something that uh, a lot of us are curious about. So I know in your past you worked for uh, briefly for Confederate and uh, you were involved in designing the Wraith. Uh, You're also the design director and co-founder of Modus Motorcycles. So tell us a little bit about your background in terms of how you got involved in, in, in motorcycle design and industrial design. Yeah, well, it was uh, not entirely by accident. So uh, I went to school for industrial design and um, product design, right? And when I was in school, I had uh, sort of a fascination with two-wheeled things. And I was thinking I would go into bicycle design. Um, motorcycle design was not something I ever studied. So um, I had an interest in bicycle design and, you know, was my dream job would have been like Trek or like Cannondale or something right out of school. And, um, you know, at, at that time, this was like, you know, 99, 2000 timeframe. So I'm just getting out of art school. And um, uh, I had a, an injury with my left hand at work. I was working nights at a, at a plastics plant. And um, it kind of set me back, you know, got depressed a bit and uh, it mangled my left hand. And uh, I was, you know, um, riding street bikes at the time. So I had to give that up. It just personally, I gave it up. I just quit um, and I couldn't operate the clutch. So it was a big setback. And I kind of got yanked out of that um, mindset very abruptly when I met the designer for Confederate motorcycles. Um, that guy was uh, JT Nesbitt. So I met him in 2004 and he, um, you know, I'll, I'll keep it PG for your, for your audience here, but he told me in a way that I needed to hear it, that I needed to cut that thing off and, and move on with my life. And so that is what yanked me out of that funk. And um, I joined up with him and helped him create the Wraith, which was in 2004. And, uh, and so I had a design firm in Pittsburgh. Um, and um, so my little team there all worked together. It was like a crash course on motorcycle design and no idea what we were doing. Just borrowing from industrial design trade of, you know, human factors, you know, just kind of solving challenges like we would design a chair, you know, packaging design. Um, so we approached it that way, but had no clue about 
motorcycle. What, what's a motorcycle designer? Um, I had no idea. So, um, so yeah, that's what got me into it. And then that was like the time of my life, you know, just doing a motorcycle like that, which was avant-garde. Uh, it was um, three or four months from like the first sketch to running it at the Bonneville Salt Flats. Wow. And it was, it, was, uh, it was an emotional high for all of us and a uh, very small team at the time and, you know, Confederate at that time. And it was, they've changed their name now and rebranded and gone in a whole new direction. And um, that, was, that was just a great time with a, a small, very small group of people um, to do something like that. So that's what got me into it. And I thought, I uh, came back from that, you know, came back to Pittsburgh and thought, you know, this is, this is like my dream. Like I, I want to do motorcycle design now, you know, I mean, it's so cool. It's like, it's packaging. Um, you're, you're having to um, consider all, all sorts of factors to package all these components, you know, thousands of components even into something that looks cool and feels cool and sounds cool and all that. So I, that's what got me into it. Um, yeah. So if I, if I could ask, so if for listeners who may not be familiar with the Wraith, I actually... Uh, lived in New Orleans when uh, Confederate was based there and actually went to, it was a small shop and then, you know, a you know, brick industrial space in downtown and actually met uh, JT and it, as he was working on an early farm, I think he was actually prepping it um, for a show or something. And just to see the Wraith, it had was exotic materials, it had carbon fiber, it had this, uh, as you said, very avant-garde design where it really did not uh, stick to the conventions because in some ways motorcycle design has got uh, this you know orthodoxy and, and this tradition and and you think about cruisers and so forth that is are, are have been um, there's a through line there but what was it like to work on something that really it seemed like it was it was very blue sky it was it was just like hey let's take this in a direction that motorcycles just really haven't gone well that's what attracted me to it and uh, that was you know um, seeing something different i felt you know in in 2004 um you know let's say that's like maybe the peak of the american chopper type craze right it kind of crashed after that um and i felt like here's a little tiny boutique brand doing things with carbon fiber and um you know avant-garde design so that's what attracted me to it um and a lot of that had to do with JT and he was kind of pushing, pushing the boundaries. And so that Wraith project um, with a carbon fiber girder front suspension, complete throwback to board track racer days, but with new materials. And I loved all of that stuff. And uh, so it was just kind of like a very free form design, not a lot of constraints, you know, not even a really a cost constraint. Um, it was just, you know, just make a, a badass motorcycle. Um, so, so that was, uh, you know, that, that era. And, uh, and then of course, after Katrina, um, it was kind of rekindling that whole, that whole brand from scratch. And, um, I left Pittsburgh, joined up with them. Um, and it was, you know, um, folks like the, the barber organization, the museum in Birmingham, uh, draws people from all over the world. And so that was the first time I saw it. Uh, it was in 2004 and it had just opened the year before and so i was driving down from pittsburgh coming through birmingham stop off at this museum that jt told me about 
And um, I have the same reaction that everyone has when they come here for the first time. They walk through the lobby and, and just complete jaw drops on the floor. Um, it's overwhelming to see this collection in one place. So that was the first moment that the, the spark was ignited in me that um, this collection in Birmingham, Alabama could be used as a resource. And that I'm starting to come to terms with that now because of what I'm doing now with this design center inside the building. Um, this has been a resource for 18 years for lots of people. It's inspiration. Uh, and so over the years, this has been burning in the back of my mind that there's other designers that come here all the time and just research. It's just like a big library. Like, sure. let's just look at everything we can possibly look at and then put all that into the hopper and come up with something new. And um, so that kind of gelled and rolled into this whole concept, um, you know, going way back. And after, after um, Confederate, um, is when I got the bug again, like, what am I going to do with my life? You know, am I a designer? I was just questioning everything. Right. So I start, I go back into freelance mode. Like I'm going to just pick up some freelance jobs, do some design. I'm now living in Birmingham. Um, I had, um, a girlfriend, you know, so I had kind of made my life in Birmingham and, um, uh, started sketching some ideas that became the modus the, the you know an all new american v4 powertrain and um, that was the counter reaction to what i thought at the time i was kind of i was kind of bored with american v twin right and it just was so much everywhere it's just i wanted to come up with something different that was undeniably american but didn't tread on other American V-twin brands and designs. Let them do that. Um, you know, a Harley is our iconic. No one does it better than Harley. You know, like that, that classic nostalgia. Um, you know, victory at the time was around still. So, Buell, like I, I kind of put all these things like, well, what am I going to do that's any different than these guys? So that museum came back to the museum again. Well, I'm just going to go park myself with a sketch pad in the corner of the museum and just immerse myself um, in motorcycle nostalgia and history. And there is now 155 years of motorcycle evolution in one building. Um, so that's what I did when um, in the early days before Modus was even Modus, I was just sketching a bike and um, I got you know, I, I could name off a list of every bike that was like influence the, the, um, the Britain, of course, you know, sure. uh, the V 1000, it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to top that. So, you know, it's kind of like all these classic designs that I've always loved, you know, the triple nine, the MGS 01, the Moto Guzzi, uh, that one off racer. Um, I had all these bikes in my inspiration wall, my mood board. Right. But that mood board was a physical brick and mortar building. I could just go walk up to the bike and study it, break it apart. So I'm not the first to do that. I, I knew other designers were doing that and we would talk about it. So didn't think anything of it at the time. Um, so after Modus closed in, in 18, um, I was back to that. What do I do with my life? Uh, freelance mode again. And um, 
you know, start doing some furniture and carpentry and, um, you know, do, just doing woodworking in my basement. And, uh, you know, it's, that's industrial design. Maybe I'll go back into furniture design or something. And, uh, and that's when I got the, the call from, you know, Mr. Barber, his executive team, just kind of, what are you up to, you know? Um, and uh, so we met over a few months uh, in 2019. And, um, you know, I was, I was tasked with coming up with this vision, what this became, you know, a, an extension of Mr. Barber's vision 20 some years ago uh, when this was, you know, um, 800 acres of just forest. I mean, he came out here with his, with five or six people and said, we're going to build something world-class here. And uh, so this is an extension of that same vision, the same people that are still here. And um, what I, I came up with was what I felt was missing in the, in the building, which was the intense study of design and engineering the backstory of these machines. We have concourse quality restorations on the floor, um, priceless examples of motorcycle history, but where, how, what, what steps were taken? What was the workflow to produce that machine, to get it uh, here after its, at its life? And so that's, um, that's something I had a little bit of knowledge in on the design side. Like I could do that. I could. I could peel back the layers of the onion and figure out who was the designers and how did they uh, make the patterns to cast the engine parts and, you know, just more to the story. And so I put a venue to that, a space inside of the building. And, uh, and that's what it's become is this, this um, epicenter of, of design and creativity and free thinking in a neutral territory. So, what we're starting to realize now a year into this is that this is neutral ground um, this isn't a branded design consultancy um, focused on a select number of oems this is this is like switzerland this is neutral ground this is a nonprofit museum it's the world's largest motorcycle museum we can approach design in a um almost a, an open source approach and share it with the world. Right, right. So sure. It becomes kind of a new thing that we're approaching. And that's what led to the Supermono project. So in this process last year, um, you know, in the middle of COVID and we're, you know, travel restrictions and all this stuff, um, Pierre Terblanche was able to come over on holiday. So we spent some, some time with him and um, we hadn't even built, built out the center yet. So this was, you know, the tail end of, um, of, um, of 20 and, sure. and, and um, December and, and January. We broke ground in January of 21 on this place. Um, so, so Pierre's here. So think back a little bit. Pierre's here. We're just hanging out, having fun, um, talking about motorcycles. I did an interview with him. Um, and I'm not sure if you can post a link to that too. Sure, or, absolutely. Yeah, um, or just direct people to the Barber um, um, YouTube channel. So there's an interview. So I sat him down. He's here. Let's let's just set up a you know pull together a camera and a microphone and let's talk about your career and your 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 life. Well, he's got I don't know um, 
dozen or so bikes in the museum that he's had a hand in designing. Sure. So to me, he's a master, you know, he's, he's up there. Uh, he's been a mentor and a friend since 2006 uh, for me. And um, so what can I learn from this guy? Sitting him down in front of some of his designs and to reflect on those. And we had, uh, you know, you name it. We had the Hypermotard out there, the Sport Classics. We pulled a bunch of bikes in the frame, but it, it was at that time that we were looking at the Super Mono and we have number 38 of 66 or 67 uh, examples. And, um, and it's just exquisite. I mean, it's a, it's a zero mile right out of the crate um, and, um, you know, purchased in, in 1994. So, so for people that aren't familiar with the Supermano, because I mean, this pure, you know, uh, Turblanche, you know, a lot of his stuff that you mentioned are like you mentioned some of his models are when he was his time with Ducati. So you mentioned Hypermotard. He he in, uh, designed the first Multistrada. Um, you mentioned the Sport Classics, uh, the 999. Some of these bikes, as people may or may not remember, were quite controversial back then. They were either it was kind of a love it or hate it design, which uh you know and it seems like the appreciation from some of those bikes is is increased over time it's it, it's become less polarizing but the super mono is kind of considered one of his his top designs but it's a very specialized motorcycle that people made so tell us a little bit about what the super mono is so why this got to be selected for this project yeah i really i really have come to appreciate um that particular bike um, through this process over the last year. Um, and that's what the Barber Museum allowed us to do. And it was just such a cool opportunity to sit Pierre down, have the bike behind us. And while we were freshening it up for the, for the big you know, uh, photo shoot, we were you know, pulling off fairings, we're dusting it. He's there, he's in right. the shop downstairs in the basement, he's helping well, no, you got to take this fastener out first to get to this one. And, and it's just like, you could see him getting emotional. He was, yeah. he was thinking back, you know, 29 years at the time. And he's like, I remember this, like, this is why we did this. And it was just, it was becoming emotional for him. And it was, it was cool uh, because we're coming up on 30 years of that bike and it's now, it's now been 30 years. And so it is kind of a milestone for Ducati. Right. Sure. And, um, and of course we're doing all this, clearly without Ducati's knowledge. He's just here, you know, visiting the museum. Um, so it was just a neat little um, idea to say, why don't we dissect this one? You know, this is the one. Um, why it's the one, I, you know, that would probably be a good question for him. Um, for, for him, it was, um, you know, it, it in ways informed the 916. Sure. You know, uh, if you look at the two and compare the two side by side, you know, at the time this was 91, 92. At a little studio um, in I, it was San Marini, you know, wherever the you know CRC the studio was, yeah. Um, and it was this little tiny team. He's working. Um, he's he's under uh, Tamburini. Um, this was the first project for Domenicali. It was a junior engineer at Ducati, so it was like all these cool little things, and it was like this is a this is a cool story. It's an analog bike, and so that is when the idea was bedded in that the Supermana would be kind of the first project of the Barber Advanced Design Center as an intensive case study of design workflows. 
Um, so what we came up with is, well, while you're here, Pierre, once you, um, you know, what about revisiting this design? Right. What would you do differently, right? That's what every designer would ask him, right? So um, of course he's just like, oh, well, I've been thinking about it for 30 years. Um, <laughs> so, he, so he's like, you know, thank you for this opportunity, right? So that's what we did is in a sense, we kind of commissioned uh, him to dream up these, you know, kind of put his head back in the same space in 91, 92, lop off a cylinder of their superbike winning triple eight motor, right? The right. peak performance engine at the time, lop it off, make a, um, a 600 CC, um, you know, um, club racer right. to fit into the Supermono series at the time, right? So kind of get into that same headspace, but use modern tools and design workflows, 3D printing. And that's kind of how that all evolved. And so in four months time, from the first sketches that were almost entirely in 3D, you know, um, and it's really cool to see a guy like Pierre and work alongside him um, at his age and, you know, 40 plus career in design industry and still use the, some of the most advanced CAD tools that are out there. Right. Um, and he has a very simple approach, you know, he uses the, the um, some of the least expensive software to acquire uh, because he's all about just fast sketching, hashing out, right. you know, um, blocking in shapes. And so um, using the tools of, of today that you have um, at, your, at your disposal. So that was a very rapid process over Zoom and WhatsApp. And we're like texting and chatting on WhatsApp, like, hey, what do you think of this and that? And then we bring in uh, Filippo Corticelli, who's in London, in between jobs, and he's like getting ready to go to his next gig. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, because Pierre and Filippo worked together way back. Um, you know, Filippo was there on the Multistrada and, and, and the Triple Nine, which was their first CAD bike. Okay. So if you think about when the Triple Nine came out, that was their first bike they did entirely on CAD. Right, right. Um, late 90s. Yeah. So, um, so it was really fun to kind of work alongside these guys and put all of this, these pieces into a, a case study of sorts that the Barber Museum is going to roll out and share. Say, so, hey, this is how this design flow worked. And this is what we came up with. And then we're just going to share it. It doesn't go anywhere. The bike, the concept bike that we built lives right here in this space. Whether we build it and run it and put it on the track where, you know, we don't know yet, but there is a track out back. So a nice um, one. <laughs> it is, it is a nice track and um, it would make sense that we do these kind of design studies and look into, well, how could we improve on arrow? And Pierre has some great ideas on improving arrow. Um, on, on modern two-wheeled machines. And so this particular bike um, has a radiator in a completely different place. It's in the middle of the bike and the frame is the ductwork. The entire frame is the radiator, you know, uh, heat exchanger. And I, I think it's brilliant. Well, if, you know, I've seen the photos, um, Peter Jones did a story for us. We went to the Barber Motor, uh, the Barber's Vintage Festival last October. He met with you, went to the design center. Um, we'll make sure include some photographs of basically what this concept bike is. So it's not, you know, 
just so people understand it, this was not just a, hey, let's take apart the Supermano and figure out how it was done and how you could create it now, but you, you came up with a completely different motorcycle. It, it looks, um, you know, you can probably see some connections between the two, but this is a unique motorcycle, like trying to recreate something in a different way. And uh, it's, it's a very impressive, again, I've only seen it in photos, but it's very impressive looking. So um yeah that's that's so that's what you're talking about with a, a different frame design and where the radiators and so forth this is on this you know physical three-dimensional concept bike that you guys built uh using uh, this collaborative process with, with pierre so that's right yeah i mean it was the the concept how it came together is what we're going to roll out so we're just building an all-new youtube channel that that can can follow along this project now because it's not complete so we're just now finishing it and i've got a few more parts to print and um and then we're going to reveal the rest of the package and the powertrain and what that all looks like um and it very much could be a real bike i mean we could we could immediately make it um and it's it's a it is it is a you know just the the workflow of the design itself uh how we were able to do it over completely over, you know, the internet um, and come together and, you know, at the last minute, you know, he's emailing me files to print and I printed 150 parts in, <laughs> you know, two weeks. Wow. And that was, that was the, you know, the final push, what Peter saw at the Vintage Fest in October was the, the big unveiling of the concept. I had just finished spray painting. <laughs> you know, I had, I had, um, you know, four or five people, extra hands. We had right. this quick little team we threw together in the last couple of weeks of the project. So it entirely existed on computer for three and a half months. Yeah. And then it's just like everything fits and Pierre's showing me the computer models and Filippo's working on this, uh, the surfacing, the class A surfacing, it all comes together. And, uh, it's basically just hit, hit print. And right. so 150 parts were printed right here in the building. And, and what sort of material do you, when you say you're 3D printing these parts, what material are you printing these? You know, is it a type of plastic or something? Well, yeah, because because this is just a concept bike sure. right now. Yeah. It's in almost entirely plastic. Yeah. So uh, there's a few aluminum parts and steel parts that we just machined. Yeah. But um, yeah, the concept is a proposal. Yes. So for instance, the swing arm, is printed for the concept bike in plastic right. and it was printed overnight you know so in less than you know 12 hours i've got a physical shape that i can bolt up right. and it's printed in plastic um, the proposal would be titanium sure you know so this would be something that we would then go to direct metal printing and we'd print it in titanium because we're not it's not a mass-produced bike this is a concept bike sure so we just need to make one off parts. So yeah, this, this concept, what you've seen pictures of, of the white bike is uh, entirely 3D printed. The Dunlops are real, um, yeah. but we, we fitted them to 3D printed rims. So right. um, it was really neat to see it come together. I think even Pierre will tell you like, he's, he's impressed I pulled it off. So yeah. um, I only pulled one all-nighter uh, ah. that tells you. The level of uh, I was expecting like a good four to five all nighters, but I only <laughs> needed to do one. Um, so I think that's why he's like, eh, not bad, kid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the interesting thing is, you know, like I said, uh, you know, I, 
you've got this video where you interview Pierre and he he really starts by saying it's like hey I'm I'm 64. I mean he's he's still in he's still in the game but he's he's looking back on most of his career at this point. And so to be able to to take something that he's really well known for to sort of reimagine it in a modern way uh it's got to be I, I mean I, I would imagine it would be gratifying for him. But as you said this is not this, even though you guys were working on the, the inspiration for this was a Ducati motorcycle, this is not a this is not within the Ducati company. This is at the museum. Um, that, as you said, you this is kind of an open source. I mean, I've seen read enough press kits and seen design sketches and so forth, but manufacturers keep that stuff under lock and key. It's their in, intellectual property. It's the eleven herbs and spices that they only their designers keep. Everything's are you know so. To be able to share this with a wider audience, whether it's design students or um, um, you know people that are historians that are writing books or something about the design of motorcycles, but just to be able to share this in a in a more public way uh, sounds quite unique and a real service to the the industry. So yeah, that's right. I mean, typically, what you find with in-house design studios or agencies is things are under wraps, you yeah. know, sometimes four or five years um, just for marketing purposes. They don't want to let the kid out of the bag. So, you know, the clay models and the design sketches always come out after the bike is launched or right around the time. So who knows what they're working on right now that we're not going to see for five years. Right. So the purpose of this now is let's, let's shine the spotlight on the process as it's happening in real time. Use today's uh, the, the most advanced technology we can get our hands on and getting into additive manufacturing design for additive manufacturing and coming up with shapes that are almost would have been impossible a few years ago sure um, and that's the idea show it now and roll that into our education programs at the museum right. so we're showing students of all ages now what's out there um you know what what excites them you know uh show them i could show them a clay model something i did 10 years ago that's design studios still use today. It's still use clay modeling. It's a sure. it's a great medium to hash out an idea from 2D to 3D and show it to people. So showing a third grader that playing with clay could lead to a career in design, it, you know, that resonates with some some kids. And it's great to see that happen. And so, um, but we're also showing advanced engineering, reverse engineering, and laser scanning, which helps the museum too. We have a restoration department. Um, I would argue it's one of the best restoration departments in the world for motorcycles. Mm -hmm. And this is bringing a little bit of technology, high tech, um, you know, forensic engineering to that. Right. Um, being able to take a, a, a 1904 cylinder head casting that is unobtainable. Right. Um, can't find a replacement for that. And um, in this business, we tend to just wait for it to show up, you know, and someone to right. donate it and just, you know, so projects can lie dormant for a long time. And we have four to 500 bikes lying dormant. Right. Um, the ones on the floor, they're all out and done, but we have a massive warehouse of stuff that we're waiting on parts for. So, you know, I look at it as a way to bring some tools in and I can, if I can laser scan this object and create a, um, a pattern and go to a foundry and we can authentically recreate this right right um as as authentic as a museum such as ours can do you know we have this tremendous history this backlog we have a research library with almost fourteen thousand books um 
So I think it was, uh, I think we just kind of hit on something that is just the beginning. And sure. this project with um, the mono project, we call it, is just the tip of the iceberg. Like I'm itching to like, what, what I mean, there's a thousand other stories in here. And if I could pull a designer in, you know, from wherever, and it's like, hey, here's, here's one of your bikes you did right here. Um, right. Tell us about that. Well, what would you do differently? How did you do it? And blah, blah, blah. So, right. yeah. So, so the Barber Advanced Design Center, uh, it really just opened. I mean, just, uh, you know, in less than a year ago. Uh, it, so you say it's uh, located in the museum. Where is it in the museum? Right. So it's on the top floor of the museum. So overlooking the, the racetrack. And it's the entire floor. There's a, a gallery outside that's uh, kind of a mini curated gallery of design icons. And uh, the, right now it's open to designers uh, in the industry and students um, okay. by, by appointment. So, yeah. Sure. sure. So um, do you have, as I say, this since this is fairly new um, and this is something that uh, sounds like you were encouraged by George Barber to start something like this. So where do you see things going next? I mean, in terms of, um, will this be an edu I know you said it's open by appointment for uh, designers and so forth, but will this, you see educational programs? Is this, um, you know, what else do you see going on with the, the design center? That's kind, of, that's kind of the idea, but we, we don't know where it's gonna go yet. Okay. And so this is kind of ground floor and we're gonna explore and let it kind of evolve organically. Um, so that's the purpose for reaching out to designers, um, professionals in the industry, design students and educators, and have that inform the direction that we, we take it, but open it up to them first. And um, it, in addition to being um, on display here. So if you're a visitor to the museum, the studio is is all glass and it's a working design studio. So people can look in and see 3D printing happening. And um, so the the the, uh, the intent there is to uh, eventually hold um, more seminars and workshops and and bring people inside and, and expose them to these these design engineering processes. Well, I mean, you know, as you said, you know, I imagine it's quite um, exciting to be part of a center that, I mean, it's not part of a school where it's got necessarily an educational, you know, it's got its own objectives or a, a, um, a design studio within an agency or an OEM where it's, it's, its directive is to create commercially viable products. But this is, you know, sounds like it's much more of a design think tank, you know, and it can really, you know, can go in a lot of different directions. So that's right. And the goal what um, what George Barber wants to see more than anything is that um, that spark of imagination, that that light that people when they come here, it's what's what's great about this place for the last 18 years is people of all ages get something out of it, even if you're not into motorcycles. It's sure. just the sheer vastness of the place and the and the spotlight shining on these these works of machinery that anybody gets excited about it and so that's really what he's asked me to do is uh, do more of that you know um is spark that imagination in, in people of all ages and i've seen it just in the past year um and with the young kids you know there's i've i've met 
you know, um, grade school kids that have their own 3D printers. And they're like already aware of this stuff. And it's cool. It's, <laughs> it's kind of the, it's the parents and the adults that are, you know, um, more difficult to convince this is the future, right? But um, the younger the, the generation, it's amazing that they just, they're just, they just get it. And all you have to do is kind of pull back the curtain a little bit and show them like, this is the future and um, it can, it can set them on a path. I mean, it can change it all. And I, I, I mean, I was that kid. I saw a streamliner when I was nine years old, go almost 300 miles an hour. Yeah. That had a lasting impact on me, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and I can say that now because I, I can't seem to get away from motorcycles. Um, right. So, yeah. Well, so uh like I said, I, unfortunately, I've never been to the Barber Museum. That's like kind of one of the big um, blank spots and, and, you know, being able to uh, experience the motorcycles and history. And what I'd like to hear and everyone I've talked to uh, is that you need to spend at least a full day there, preferably be a weekend because you've got how many vehicles on display in the museum? There is uh, roughly 1,200 on display at any given time. And yeah. most of them are motorcycles. I know you've got a handful of cars there, but just to be able to go through and, and, and experience, um, you know, uh, the vehicles and the history, but it sounds like it's, it's not just a uh, let's just preserve history, but let's understand it. Let's share it, you know, in terms of the next generation. And that's, that's uh, a, an important part of what a museum can do. So it's in Birmingham, Alabama. It's open pretty much year round. I know there's the Barber Vintage Festival takes place in October. There are several other events, but what's the best way for people to sort of keep up with what's going on at the museum and the design center? Yeah, go to uh, barbermuseum.org. Uh, that's our main website, and you'll see um, you'll see the museum on there and the racetrack, and uh, and that's the best way to reach out to us. Uh, but yeah, um, consider this your your personal invitation. Um, come out and see me and, and uh, spend a day here. Uh, oh, you will love it. I, I, yeah, I can't wait. So, and also, uh, you mentioned that the the Mono project is really going to be uh, more fully unveiled or released in the weeks or months ahead. Do you have kind of a yeah over the, over the coming months? Yeah, and it's there's no um, sense of urgency to it because this is um, this is a learning uh, project. Right. You know, so we're going to roll out some you know, the behind the scenes stuff of the of the process and the CAD designs and the scanning process and the 3D printing process. And so uh, we're just now getting into compiling all that material. Um, and then, you know, we're we're kind of thinking about like, you know, what's what's next? What's the next project? You know, um, how can we top that? Because uh, it was it was pretty fun. Very cool. Very cool. Well, again, I appreciate your time, Brian. Uh, we will include links for the Barbie Museum, the YouTube channel and so forth in the show notes. Um, uh, thanks for being on the show. Great talking to you, Greg. Thanks so much. Awesome. For the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast, I'm Greg Drevenstead. Thanks for listening and keep the rubber side down. If you've enjoyed listening to the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast, please subscribe, leave us a positive rating and tell your friends. We also encourage you to visit writermagazine.com where you can get the latest in motorcycle news and reviews and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to print and digital editions of Writer Magazine, which is published 12 times a year. Thanks again for listening. 